Uh, if you're visiting or new, I'm Steve, and I'm, I'm just filling in for James this morning. So, so let's open your Bibles, go, let's go. We're going to look at Ephesians 4. I'm going to kind of take some of the stuff that James just brushed across last Sunday and uh, take it a little farther. But we'll look at verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now a Gentile is simply a person who didn't know Jesus. All right? So... And he says, when they walk, they walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And certainly we see that roaring in our culture today. Notice the pattern here, that the darkness and the alienation stems from what? Ignorance, right? Ignorance of what, you might ask? Well, ignorance of the word of God and ignorance of his ways. Uh, Pastor James emphasized the importance and necessity of reading through your Bible, and that cannot be overemphasized. Uh, God's word can take a calloused and hardened heart and, and, and make it soft again. I remember when I first came to know Christ, I went to my first Bible study, and, and, and I had no clue what was going on. And even that, it was more embarrassing because the only Bible I had was that big Catholic Bible, right? And I whipped that puppy under my arm and walked into a Bible study. Uh, a guy named Pastor Jan Heading I was teaching, and he was teaching on Revelation. How'd you like that, right? Walked in, had no idea what they were talking about, had never heard this. And uh, he asked three questions. I raised my hand, answered three questions in a row wrong, and suddenly felt like the dumbest person in the room. Right? And I was like, what in the... By the time I found the book they were talking about, there were three books past me. I had never heard of Thessalonians. I had never heard of Corinthians. I had never heard of any of these things. And so I, I freaked out. And I, I read the Bible twice in six months. Not because I was holy or spiritual. I was just literally freaked that I was 22 years behind everybody. I was never going to catch up. And what I remember reading... And I won't tell you the exact words I said, but the words were kind of something on the order of, where in the world has this been my whole life? How did I not know this? It, it stunned me. It blew my mind. It, the categories, just things I thought about God or things, just it changed the whole paradigm. And so I just want to encourage us again that um, you can read it, it and it, it'll soften your heart up. If you begin in Matthew, you just read two chapters a day. That's all you got to do. Two chapters a day. You'll read through the New Testament twice this year still. You're not too late. It's only February. You'll still make it easily. And so uh, I just want to uh, let you know, jump in and join us. Uh, I've got a group on Planning Center that we uh, track every day together. And uh, come join us. Let Jesus share his side of the story with you. And uh, I just want to say, if that's all you get out of this morning, uh, you're doing great. All right? But there's a lot more to come. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the joy of the memory of that story. Hmm. We're going to walk through some things, Lord, that are wonderful things. But it really is uh, only your ability through your spirit to open our eyes. And I remember what it looked like when I didn't make any sense and I thought people were Christians were nuts to where, how could people not see this? And Lord, I've wrestled with that all the years I've lived in Seattle. 
And so, Lord, as we lift this up this morning, we pray for the greater good of our community and our area that you would break out and break through and um, find people the way you found us. And as we look this morning, this, these passages are going to be about how we become like you. And that uh, is not an easy process. And we ask for your encouragement as we walk through it. Give insights where appropriate. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. So that passage we just read uh, leaves us in a state of um, being in a perpetual state of greediness. That's not a very good place. But then watch the shift, right? James covered this so well last week. It says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. That's not how you learn Jesus. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, and the assumption there is obviously that's the expectation, right? Uh, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is very confusing for a lot of people, but I found an illustration that makes it pretty simple, and people get it. Uh, when they come in for counseling, and I'll say, hey, when you're out in the yard and you get dirty and sweaty and gunky and full of stuff, spider webs and dirt and stuff, do you clean up before you go in and take a shower? They go, what? I said, do you clean up before you go and take a shower? And they go, well, no. I said, well, why not? I said, well, because that's what the shower's for. The shower's for cleaning you up. I said, okay, exactly. Same thing in the Christian life. You don't clean yourself up before you come to God. You go to God to let you clean him up. I mean, let him clean you up. Let's get that one right, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the idea there is that God is the shower. He's the one who cleanses, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, we're going to emphasize that this morning. Don't freak out. The Holy Spirit's not weird. He is the same Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus and as God the Father. All right? So we, we need to embrace that. Okay? So this person who in this passage didn't know God now has come to know Jesus. They're in a relationship. And as Pastor James pointed out last week, the result of this is change. Incredible change. Internal change. Not just looking at window dressing. We're talking about real heart change, real ways that your mind uh, sees it differently. And we are to put off the patterns of the old man described here, listen to the description, captured by deceitful desires. Anybody understand that? Right? I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out, right? All of us have been lied to. All of us have been captured by certain deceitful desires. They don't have all, what's interesting, they don't even all have to be the same bait. Then have to be the same. We all got trapped by him. And so we put off the old man when it's practice habits, and then we put on, like James used last week, clothes, take off the old clothes and put on new clothes. If you were going to go on a date, right, young people, you don't get all sweaty and dirty, keep your old clothes on and then put new clothes on, put a little spray on and go, okay, we're ready for the date. No, you wouldn't do that. You take the old clothes off first, then you put the new clothes on, right, and then you go on the date. So that's what this is pointing out. And the emphasis here is, is truth. Notice that Jesus is truth, that truth is in him. And so we're going to see these two contrasting paradigms that we're going to talk about. What we should not be and what we should quit doing. And then when we come to know Christ and then what we should be and what we should be doing. And, and here's the key point. All of this is done in cooperation 
with the Holy Spirit's coaching and grace. One of the paradigms that's made a lot of sense for me is the Holy Spirit is coach, okay? It really has helped. There, if you've ever had a great coach, I don't care if it's in sports or if it's in uh, music lessons or if it's uh, in business or finances or whatever, if you've had a great coach, you know how valuable a good coach can be, right? A personal trainer, whatever. Uh, just worth their weight in gold. The Holy Spirit is a great coach. And we need his coaching. And so uh, James, again, asked me to go through these, so we're going to do that. So I've asked my beautiful wife, Pam, as partial to the worship team this morning, the good-looking lady on the left, Woohoo! and uh, she's agreed to come up and read. She's so enthusiastic about it. It's awesome. We're going to read Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with another in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so what we're going to find here as you look at this list is that it is a grace list. This is not a performance list. Just get that locked in your mind. This is a cooperation list, all right? Here's some things you need to cooperate with. Here's some things you need to walk away from. Cooperating with the grace of God means simply I head in his direction. I lean in towards him instead of away from him. You ever felt like the Holy Spirit's talking to you and you kind of go, eh, right? And you, you know brace yourself kind of thing. It's saying drop that. Drop that. Cooperate. So I then practice. First John talks, he who practices righteousness. I practice um, holiness. I let him coach me. I practice the game plan that he's laid out for me. I let him change my heart, my mind, my behaviors, the internal stuff that other people can't see. Why? Because if I change the outside, here's why. If I change the outside, it doesn't necessarily mean the inside's changed. And under pressure, what's going to come out? The inside, right? You ever had that happen? If I let God change the inside, I don't have to worry about pressure because what will come out is what's inside. If you bump a jar of water, what are you going to get when it splashes? Water. Because that's what's in the cup, right? So it's what's in that matters the most, not the outside presentation. So just know God's after the heart. That's what he really cares about, the control side of it. So I let him change my heart, my mind, my behaviors. So with that in mind, all right, get, get us thinking up that way, what are some things that I head towards or I begin to lean into? What does the Holy Spirit coach us in? So this morning, we're going to look at seven things that are laid out in this passage for us that it's going to highlight for us are things that we should focus on to put on this new life, what, what we have to do. Uh, just a word of caution. I know some of us, uh, 
I said seven things, you went, that's a lot of things. I better get them all down, right? Stop, okay? Just as we go through the list, one or two, okay? What one or two really stand out to you? Don't go over the whole seven. Just as we're going through, not, not that one, not, not that, oh, that one, right? Just go with the one or two that really connect for you and let the Holy Spirit highlight or illuminate which ones you should pay attention to. Does that make sense? Take the pressure off this morning? Okay, good. So, uh, also, if you're new in the faith, either watching this morning or you're here this morning, there may be a brand new idea in there for you. Like, I didn't know that was part of the deal, right? You're filling in the holes. That's, that's okay. Um, it also may be some of us who've known the Lord for a while, and it's one of those ideas that he's been... Uh, coaxing you on to get started, but you've been procrastinating, right? And of course, none of us would ever do that, but all right, you ever drag your feet with the Lord telling you to do something, and you drag your feet? Or it's been dialoguing with you to get back at it. You've walked with the Lord for a long time, and you used to do something, and you've forgotten, and you've gotten away from it, and he's, he's encouraging you to get back at it. So I don't know all the places where we are exactly, so, but God does. So watch for which one he's pulling on uh, this morning. Because we're not all in the same place, and, and that's okay. So, let's begin. Starting with verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, you find this a lot in Scripture. Isaiah lamented when he saw the Lord in his holiness. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, that he was a man of unclean lips, and that he dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, we just sang that song so beautiful this morning, The Lord is Holy, and it just captured it. I was like, wow, that is so cool. What provoked this anguished confession? You know, Isaiah's not sitting there going, oh, what was me, holy, you know, kind of. He's not doing that. He's, he's like tore up. He's like undone. He's like, I'm going to die. This is awful. What? provoke that kind of anguished, grieved kind of confession. Well, he saw the truth. Now, the truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person. See, we think of truth as an idea, to tell the truth, right? But truth is a person. And truth emanates from a person. And therefore, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he came unglued. When he saw himself in light of the person that he was now seeing, he was shattered. And that's what happens sometimes is the closer you get to the Lord, the more you see your junk. Okay? Uh, it's just an amazing and, uh, process that God takes you through. Daniel experiences and captures this exact same idea when in his great prayer for deliverance from Israel, from Babylon, he prays this. In Daniel 9.13, you'll see it up on the screen there, it says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity, and he's talking about the absolute destruction of Jerusalem, Israel being wiped out. All this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your what? <coughs> by your truth. See, again, truth is a person. It's not just a concept. Both Isaiah and Daniel, along with Job, uh, Jeremiah, and a host of others, realized they had become a nation of liars. 
They lied to themselves and they lied to each other. Not only were they not operating in the truth, but they actually were functioning in such a way that they were opposed to the truth. Now certainly we're better than them, right? That was a good laugh. I looked up an article in Psych Central, which is not critical to anything. It's just simply one of those articles I found. It was written by a gal named Christine Hammond. And she was telling the story of a teacher named Rebecca. And Rebecca was a teacher in a middle school, uh, in a public middle school, and she was absolutely astounded, astounded with the, the amount of lying that was going on in the classroom. And she thought, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. And so she went to a private school thinking it was better. When she got to the private school, it was worse. And she was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So she sat down in class and she started to catalog the ways that she saw the students lying. And she came up with a list of 30 different ways that the students are lying. Now, I'm not going to put it up on the screen because you'll never hear another thing and say you'll all be locked on the list. If you want the list, the list is on Planning Center, and it's uh, off the notes for today for the message, so you can go look it up, see if you can find ways that... But she listed 30 different ways she saw students lying to each other, their teachers, or themselves. If... uh, We see this in the press every day. I don't think it surprises us that we've become a nation of liars. Have you ever read a news headline and broke into laughter? Because it was like, are you kidding me? What, what, What were you smoking, right? I mean, just ridiculous. But the question comes back, what about us? Okay, it's easy to point the finger at other people. What about us? Do we ever catch ourselves lying? Shading, shading the truth, covering up, intentionally maybe misinforming. I think we all know that we've sinned in this way. And rather than on focusing on that this morning, I would like to focus on the transformation part of putting on the new man. Here's a very sobering statement. Okay? We are in Christ to speak the truth to one another. In other words, there should be something radically different about believers, and one of the radical things that should be different is we shouldn't lie to each other. We should tell each other the truth. We are to practice truth speaking with grace, in love, but practicing telling each other the truth. Why? Because God is the God of truth. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Are you picking up anything here? If you look for that and you read the New Testament, you're going to see that all over the place. It's really impressive. Why shouldn't we lie? We shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. God will never lie to you. Did you know that? Jesus will never lie to you. The Holy Spirit will never lie to you, never lead you on. He will never betray you. Or That's incredible news. Do you know anybody who will never lie to you? God will never lie to you. And if we can't speak the truth in little everyday things, how are people going to believe us when we tell them the truth about big kingdom things? They're not going to buy that either, Right? By the way, the place where this is most often played out, your home, right? Moms, dads, 
Speak the truth to your kids. By the way, they're way more perceptive than you understand. They know if you're lying to them. So to lean into Jesus, boy, it got really quiet in here. <laughs> okay, breathe. Here we go. Okay, let's get to the good part. So um, to lean into Jesus is to lean into, to learn, to practice telling the truth. Now, I've had a hard time with that. I grew up uh, fairly quick tongue, and I learned I could lie my way out of things. And it got me into all kinds of problems. And I have had, since I've come to learn Jesus, to catch myself and stop myself and say, tell the truth. It shouldn't be that hard, right? I find it miserably difficult. So if any of the rest of you are with me, we can walk that together. Um, But don't freak out about this. You don't have to be perfect. The idea is once I lied as a practice, now I'm going to practice the truth. I may not be perfect at it, but I'm going to get a lot better. Okay? And I'm way better after 45 years than I was when I first started. Still got a ways to go. But the essence is this, is the old man, in the old man, the basic tactic or strategy is to lie where, where and what, I'm sorry, it's to lie to get where and what I want. Right? If you think about it, why do I lie? Because I want something, I'm going to get away with something, or I don't want to get caught. Right? Those are the two basic fulcrums that lying pivots around. In the new man, I'm supposed to speak the truth in love. The next admonishment parallels what we just covered. This is point number two. It says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Lying expresses itself usually as the sin of the tongue. Usually so does anger. If you think where anger comes out, where does it most often come out? It comes out of your mouth, right? This for, yeah, it's still quiet in here. Wow. Okay, keep, we'll, we'll keep going. It's going to get better. This verse is most often set in the context of marriage and for good reason. Festering resentments can choke out the love and affection in a marriage. When couples say the love died, they're right. Why did it die? Well, it died because of a spirit of anger in the marriage. Festering resentment, right, builds. And what better place to fester than when lying in your own bed right next to the person who's annoying you? Right? Thoughts run wild. Seldom do they go in a good direction. It's called what? Nursing a grudge. Replaying it over and over. And if left to grow roots, it takes on a life of its own. Now, singles, you're sitting there going, boy, glad that doesn't apply to me. This applies to you as well. You do not have to be married to nurse a grudge or battle with anger. Right? And what God is trying to tell you as a single person is you should get on top of this before you get married. Don't wait till you get married. Because if you wait... You'll have to learn it the hard way while you're married. And if you ask any of these people, they'll tell you it's not a a lot of fun. Learn it now. Get on top of it quick. Do you nurse a grudge? Well, why? Do not nurse a grudge. Sorry. Because it gives the devil an opportunity. So just like Jesus, the truth is a person, lies are also a person. 
Lying is an idea or a concept, but it's also a person. And it gives that person a purchase point, a foothold. If I said to you this morning, your assignment for the week after coming to church was to cooperate this week fully with the devil. Yeah, you should have saw your eyes. <laughs> JC's going, what? <laughs> Steve, you're my pastor. But if I said that, how many of you would sign up? Right? No, you'd go to the board and go, that lunatic in the pulpit, you've got to fix that guy. Right? And yet, that's what many of us do. Although admittedly, unintentionally. We give the devil a foothold, a purchase point, an opportunity. How? By allowing anger to fester. And then it becomes resentment. Then it becomes contempt. I'm going to do a message sometime if I get a chance on contempt because it's just a whole category unto itself. And then it becomes bitterness. So how do we put on the new self created in the likeness of Christ Jesus? Two steps. Give you this morning. Much bigger topic, but here's two places, running points you can start with. Number one, recognize that anger is an indicator. Much like the temperature gauge on your car. If you're driving down the road and all of a sudden the temperature gauge starts to go up, you don't just keep driving. Well, let's hope it cools off. No, you stop the car and figure out what's wrong, right? Because you know if you keep going, you're going to blow the radar or blow the engine. It's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to experience anger. Okay? It's how one deals with anger that is the problem. So quick recognition is really important. Understand something's up. And number two, the second thing is deal with it quickly. Don't let the day end. What does this passage say? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't carry it across multiple days. Don't carry it across weeks. Don't carry it across... Stop! Today! Like before the sun sets, deal with this. And nine times out of ten, that means you've got to go to God and you've got to just lay your heart over for God and confess your anger and confess your inability to let it go. And you've got to say to him, Father, you've got to help me with this. Jesus, Holy Spirit, coach me. How do I let go of this? Don't let resentment uh, ferment and fester. Uh, it, goes, it goes toxic. Anger is always a secondary emotion, so what's making you angry? Once recognized, nine times out of ten, it's a matter of forgiving it and releasing it to God. Why don't we do that? Because we like to hold on to it. Because we like the control of it. We've got to recognize it's going to kill you. You have to forgive. Now, put that thought on hold for a minute. We'll come back to it at the end of the message, all right? We'll tie a ribbon on this one. But let's go on to the third one. Let a thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul here is alluding to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not, what? Steal, right? Uh, Notice the value and importance given to work. Look at that. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him what? Labor. Labor means work, okay? Let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Just like some of us had or have a penchant for lying, so some of us had or have a penchant for stealing. Taking something that is not ours. The old five-finger discount, right? If it's not nailed down, it's mine. Again, you can see the issue of greed in this. I want it. I'm going to take it. 
Paul's answer to this dilemma? Work. Work hard. Apply yourself. Have something to give others. And I think this is really important in the church right now. Can you tell my voice intensity has gone up with this? Okay. I come from old school. I come from a farm, and you worked. Okay. And uh, I, I've been building decks with Anthony Ogawa. And I'm just, I wheelbarrowed brick two weeks ago. Had a riot. It was awesome. You're like, are you out of your mind? I was on the Hood Canal at the Sandy's Cabin. It was world-class scenery. I was doing hard work. I was exhausted at the end of the day and felt wonderful. Felt wonderful because I could see what I did and it was there and I said, that pile, I did that. It was awesome. The value of hard work. We have to get away from this, uh, what am I speaking against here? This something for nothing mentality. Uh, Maybe I will win the lottery, right? The lottery is the biggest lie, and I'm, please, oh my goodness. Let's address that for a second. Have you ever ever read about the people who won the lottery? Have you ever read the history on that? Uh, Most of them are worse off than before they won. First of all, they blow it. Then second thing, every thief in America knows your name. And some of them wear suits. And they come knocking at your door, how they're going to help you. Your life's miserable. Just, it's crazy. Or how about this one? The government will pay for it. The government will pay for it? Are we talking about the same government that now is $31 trillion in debt? I'm sorry. It was $31 million on Thursday. It's $32 million now on Sunday. We're talking about that government? Slightly more diabolical. Okay, fine, then I'll just take it. That spirit's alive and well in America right now. You got it, I want it, I'll take it. Paul's advice, stop being a thief. Stop being a thief. Learn how to work. There is great, good, and divine blessing in good, honest, hard work. That's what God gave us an ability to do. Lean into that. Let your work be your worship. The old saying, remember the old saying, an honest, an honest day for an honest dollar? Right? The idea was there, I give fair value back for what I'm getting paid. What does that mean? Okay, there's so much you can draw for this, but it means take joy in it. Take joy in your work. Your work is ordained by God. He's given you the job you have. Stop cursing it. Stop cussing about it. Stop complaining, stop grumbling about it, and take joy in what God has given you to do. Okay? Alex's intro, man, I thought, dude, you should preach. That was good. Uh, the, the idea of, hey, stop being greedy and give what is the Lord's. Right? We're not giving to man, we're giving to the Lord. Work is valuable. All right, enough of that. Be a provider, not a taker, in other words. Let's go to the fourth one. Let no corrupting, if you thought the other ones were bad, here we go, all right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. We could stop right there. But only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If I have an Achilles heel, it's this one right here. If there's one that's blown me up in my life and that I failed miserably in, and when the Bible says, remember that by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned, and the scripture says you will be judged for every careless word you said, I am a dead man. Okay? 
I have said many careless words. I have said many flippant things. And I, part of the problem when you retire is you look back and then you realize, oh my gosh, how many places I've blown it. Wow. And so this, just so you know, we're walking together on this one, okay? This is a tough one. Just think about it. Who of us hasn't sworn? Who of us hasn't taken God's name in vain? Who of us haven't backstabbed other people? Who of us haven't slandered others? Who of us haven't used coarse language or coarse humor? Who hasn't been lit up in anger and let someone else have it? Need I go on? Our language should be to build up, to give grace to those who hear, and we can really miss on this one. Even in our best efforts, it reminds me of one kid at camp who said to the other kid at camp, edify, stupid, right? Again, the Holy Spirit coaches us. Here's the great hope. The Holy Spirit will coach us in this. But it's hard to counter the surrounding culture. Many of you know, right now I'm sitting, you say, yeah, but Steve, you don't know where I work. You don't know the guys. You don't know the people. You don't know the attitudes, the... I go, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I know, and I know it's really difficult. The thought that we have got to wrap our heads around is that language is a big thing to God. It really matters. You want proof? Take, take God out of the equation and watch how fast it falls apart. The language on our TV shows and movies which even 10 years ago would have been labeled as vulgar and obscene, are hitting new all-time lows. Even on children's shows. I'm like, this is a kid's What in the world is going on? It's almost impossible to watch a show or movie today that doesn't use the F word or God's name in vain. And multiple times over, in multiple combinations, to get their point across. Let's, let me suggest something. You, you become what you watch. You become uh, bad company, corrupts good morals. You become like the people you hang around with. And if you're hanging around the TV, you're going to become like what you want. Not instantly, not instantly, but over time, your language will follow the language you're exposed to. Let me suggest an idea, and when I say it, I already know it will be so counterculture, you'll lay me a radical and a kook for it, all right? Which is okay. I'm 67, I don't care, all right? <laughs> that guy is daffy, man, he's lost touch, okay? It will sound ridiculous. Here it is, it's this simple, turn it off. Turn it off. Don't go. You don't have to watch that, and you don't have to go to that movie. Turn it off. We don't even do that today. We just go, right? Turn it off. Why would I say that? I know that sounds crazy. Well, let's look at the next verse and we'll see why. Then what does it say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This verse right here is sandwiched between the language verse and the attitude verse that's going to be next on our list. In other words, the language and the attitude, this verse is planted in between. And what does it say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Jesus died on the cross for our sins. An unspeakable gift of grace. An unthinkable, heroic act of love. And the greatest gift that one could possibly receive. Will we cheapen it, denigrate it, in the name of entertainment? And grieve the Spirit of God. Again, do you think I'm crazy? Go ask your coach. Ask him what he thinks. How serious a matter is it to grieve the Holy Spirit? I was thinking through, I was trying to find a movie in my head that somebody was really grieved by the actions of another person. I couldn't come up with one. And, uh, but I just think through all the places in Scripture where people really blew it, and it says the Holy Spirit was grieved. And you look at those stories, it's not good, Right? The very person in which this verse says has sealed us for redemption eternally, the day of redemption, it's a serious matter to the Holy Spirit. It's not a serious matter to our culture. So we're left with which one are we going to buy into? And what is these verses saying? Put on the new, take off the old. So first we're to put off the language of the old man, then we're to put off the attitudes of the old man. These also grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's look at our next one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put, put away from you, along with all malice. Malice is just, I want to be nasty and rip you just because I want to be nasty and rip you. I just want to talk bad about you. I just want to make you look like mud and feel like mud. That's what malice is. These attitudes show up in the desert wanderings, right, with Israel. There, and what was God upset with them about? It was this spirit of grumbling and complaining, right? Any of us grumbled or complained over the last two and a half years? Right? Yeah, unfortunately, we've been awful at it, Okay? Just so sad, way too bad, right? We've messed up. But I want to I point something out. Very few things irk the heart of God like grumbling or complaining. You go and look up grumbling and complaining, what God thinks about it in the New Testament, you'll have a completely different appreciation of it. It's spoken of several times in the New Testament as a warning that was to be given to us and it's avoid, A-V-O-I-D, avoid in capital letters. Avoid their example. Do not do this. So let's end on a positive note. If we're to put these things off, what are we to put on? What things would the Holy Spirit coach us to become good at? Right? That's a good question. What, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, are we to practice? The next verse is our seventh point and, and the answer to that question. Think of these things as being done both in language and attitude. So it says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. Uh, there's the parallel passage in um, Colossians says the same thing. In that one it says, bear with one another and if anyone sins against each other and has a complaint... 
forgive, right? Uh, this fall, we did Alex and Jordan's wedding. I actually called Alex and asked permission for this illustration. But we did their wedding, Eastern Washington, uh, Manson, overlooking Lake Wapato. It was gorgeous, right? And they're standing there. They're decked out. Alex is looking massively handsome, and Jordan's looking beautiful in her dress. And we're standing there, and we were going through the Colossians passage. That's the parallel to this one. And uh, it says there, bear with one another because... Um, or bear with one another, and if any of you has a complaint, forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. And I said to Alex and Jordan as they were standing there, I said, okay, so guys, we just read this. Stop for a second. I said, how many times do you think you will have to forgive each other over the next 40 or 50 years? Once? Twice? Maybe 10 times? How about 100? And they, you could, they're, you know, could see their eyes trying to calculate, gosh, I never thought of that question. What would I do with that? And I said, you know what the people sitting out in the audience know that you don't know? I said, a whole lot more times than you ever thought. A whole lot more times than you ever thought. Husband and wife, amen? Right? We have got to get good at forgiveness. You can't put on the new if you don't forgive. It's just that simple. And so we've got to get good at forgiveness. So let's go through these again. For you personally, as you're there here this morning or watching online, okay, which one stood out to you? Let me read it to you again. And you go click through the list. Which one is the Holy Spirit identified for you? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Father, as we go through that list, our job was to read it. Your job is to identify so this morning as we are here, Holy Spirit, identify for each of us which one or two stand out that we have to put off the old and put on the new. And we trust you with that. We know it's important. We ask for your favor in that and give this to you in your name. Amen. Remember, it's not a performance. This is cooperating with grace. Okay? You got your one or two? then brothers, sisters, practice well in grace this week, all right? Father in heaven, remind us, bump us, prod us, encourage us, help our faint hearts lean towards you, and may your grace become abundant. Help us, Father, right here out of the get-go to identify who, what, and how we need to forgive. May we grow in that grace, and we pray in this in your name. Amen. 
All right. Thank you very much for coming online as well. And we'll see you next week.